Peace and prosperity is my first salute to you. I'm Merton Clark, and welcome to the Word of Truth Revealed podcast. It is my desire to build you up to increase your spiritual stamina and tenacity, to empower effectiveness and help you discover your purpose. Enjoy this vibrant and dynamic message. Well, the Lord has uh, spoken to my heart to release a message called Contagion, which is to it, it is designed to identify viruses and issues that are surfacing in our society due to our movement restrictions. People have stayed home longer in the last few months than they have in years. And we found out that our houses, our homes, our hearts are not as healthy as we thought. And it is time to make sure we are inoculated, that we get our booster shots, and we begin to examine our homes, our hearts, our houses, our own families. We're able to identify areas in our family tree with our children, the way parents parent kids. They've been in isolation, left alone. They've been raised by idol gods, notebooks, droid devices, Apple products, games, video games, violence is at another level. And the rule of law is not, it's not adhered to, adhered to like it should. Even in the church, these viruses have invaded us. We lack the ability to communicate. Uh, when one is talking, others are doing something else like texting. And what we need to do is listen. We need to learn to listen. And also, uh, because this virus, because the coronavirus has caused us to restrict our movements, we've had to get along with people that we didn't know we hated or we disliked. It is easier in this day in society, in this, in this society to back away from the people you don't like or to change partners. But to really grow in God, it is imperative that you and I begin to buckle down and stay faithful to the call of God, and that is to leadership, to fellowship, to discipleship, to evangelism, and to ministry. These are the purposes of the church. The purposes of the church. You must have leadership. Without leadership, you don't know if you're going. You don't know which way you're going. The Bible says, how can the blind lead the blind? It's not saying that people who are knowledgeable can't teach. But the person that's knowledgeable must have a leader and must have someone that they're submitted to. This is how God keeps the church the church. He kept it the church for the last 2,000 years, and this is the way he keeps the church in the 21st century and beyond. I have the task of now talking about something that I've never talked about before, and that is the cancer of racism. Recently, we've seen something that uh, I don't think most of the nation was ready to see. I, I'm reminded of what happened years ago in the 60s when Martin Luther King led a group of people over the bridge there in Selma, Alabama. Uh, the sheriff in that county was so upset with black people peacefully protesting that he sent the police. He sent dogs, billy clubs, busting folk upside the head, taking them to prison, not because they were destroying property, this was a peaceful protest. And Martin Luther King, which I have a lot of respect for, a whole lot of respect for, he introduced to the nation what he called nonviolent resistance. 
and it helped to undignify and to reveal the cancer of racism and hatred in a great segment of our society, especially those who are in the South. And there were people who joined with Martin Luther King because it was viewed on national television, the racist uh, statements and the things that were done. I can't go into detail, but I visited the museum, the Martin Luther King Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, where he died. And I recommend every one of you, if you really want to know what's going on, or at least what happened in the 60s, because some things aren't new. Some things have happened before. There is actually nothing new under the sun. But you would see the vitriol, the hatred of the people and the way they're in the camera telling folk to go back to Africa and screaming hatred. And this, this nationalism that uh, rose up, and we kind of see it happening right now at least over the last three years. America is great. Well, America is not great because it has a big military. It must have moral power, not just military power. And it must respect all of its citizens. I'm not talking about just the ones that belong to your church or the ones that like what you like or have your faith. We are supposed to welcome all peoples of races, colors, and creeds into this land. Hopefully, they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to know the Lord. But under the Constitution of the United States, and if you say those who wrote the Constitution was godly, they actually wrote that all people coming here can have their own religion. I don't know where that came from, but that's what they put in it. So those of you that believe we're constitutionalists, then you have to be able, military should honor the fact that any religion can be worshipped or any religion can be practiced in the borders of the United States. We do believe that this is a Christian nation, but make no mistake about it. The Constitution touches all people, black, white, white, rich, poor, even gay and straight. I have my own convictions as it relates to that, and I teach my conviction, but the Constitution is very clear. So I want to make sure that we have an understanding uh, as it relates to that. And we've seen some things in the recent weeks here that I'm going to talk about, but I had to give you a backdrop. So for those of you that are just meeting me for the first time, you won't be lost as I make this turn. There is a crossfire in America. We're dealing with uh, racism that was displayed on our televisions here just over just around 10 days ago, uh, a man was actually uh, killed right in front of us on a Monday afternoon with a police officer with his knee on his neck. And uh, it, was, uh, it was horrific. And for that, you see, uh, you see protests that are taking place all over the nation. I even saw protests in London, England, and in Germany. Because the world had a chance, every eye had a chance to see what happens when people hate other races. I do not believe, and I want to make sure you understand this, I uh, do not believe that all cops are demons. I believe that God has godly uh, police officers and law enforcement people. Most of them are godly. Most of them uphold the law. Myself and a few pastors in this city are forming some type of coalition where we're going to meet. At least we're trying to meet with the police chief and we want to sit down and talk about ways we can work together to show solidarity in our community after this uh, horrific event in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I had a chance to visit Minneapolis. And if you're coming out of St. Paul, crossing over the Mississippi River and you see that beautiful city, it looks like a city 
uh, that's uh, futuristic, like uh, the, the architecture of the city coming into uh, Minneapolis from St. Paul. It's just a beautiful sight. And uh, to see what happened, even though the city seems to be futuristic, to see that old cancer uh, walking the streets in the midst of a brand new city where we should have new ideas. We all love the nation. We all believe that God is God. We are all about America first, but at the same time, only certain portions of America are first. And I need to deal with this crossfire because you got racism displayed but you also have uncontrolled anger. And I thought that I would be able to talk about the uncontrolled anger today, but I have to deal with racism first and talk about anger later. I would say this, that everyone who's protesting and kicking in doors and stealing and pillaging and burning, it is not right. And you're taken away from the thing that actually happened to cause all of this to come to the forefront of the consciousness of the nation, you're taken away from that moment when people see you, black, white, and Hispanic. It's not just black people, black, white, Hispanic, and all races are going into these targets and places and taking away things. Your mama taught you better than that. Stop stealing, killing, and burning. Please, if you're gonna protest, do it peacefully. But I wanna make sure that we understand that we're in a crossfire. It is racism and anger uncontrolled, and both need to be dealt with. Tonight, I want to deal with racism. racism. So what is racism? Racism is a belief. It is a belief first before it is an action. It is a belief that a particular race, get me, it is a, it is a belief that a particular race is superior or other races are inferior to it. So it is either a particular a belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another. That a person's social and moral traits are predetermined by his or her biological potential. His innate, inborn biological potential. In other words, you were born ignorant. You were dumb. You were born that way. You were born subject to people of a different race. This is what we call racism. And racism is not prejudice. Even though prejudice, uh, prejudice uh, the, those who are prejudiced, and that, that word may, may lace itself to racism, but they're not the same. Racism is a belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another. And we need to watch that. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brothers, his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother will put his knee on his brother's neck until he dies. He is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He can hear a man cry for his life and not move. He can see a man losing his consciousness and calling for his mother, though his mother has gone on to be with the Lord. 
and he still keeps his weight with his hands in his pocket on his neck because he hates his brother. Racism is malignant. Can it be stopped? Let me ask you. Because since it's a belief, and since it is the belief that one race is superior to another, since it starts as a belief, can it be stopped? Absolutely it can be stopped. If you change your perspective. The first step in stopping racism is understanding what it actually is. The first step in stopping racism is to understand what it actually is. It is a belief. And uh, you can change your belief. I actually believe that one time that it was okay to be in darkness or to be in sin. But when the light was shown me, my beliefs changed. After the gospel was preached to me, I changed my beliefs. And now I've been translated from that kingdom into a brand new one. And so there's even hope for the racist. The first step is stop is uh, in stopping racism is to understand what it actually is. But... That's not an easy task. If it was that easy, there would be no racist in the world. Racism is more than just being mean. <laughs> more than just being prejudiced. and More than being obnoxious or using certain words. It's more than being unfriendly. Get out of the way. <laughs> it's more than being unkind or even offensive with your words. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 21. And I hope I'm not boring you all because I'm preaching the gospel. The word of God is clear. Exodus 22 and 21. It says it like this. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now God says because you were strangers in the land of Egypt or slaves in the land of Egypt when you enter into your promised land. And most people in America migrated to the land. The only indigenous uh, uh, group of people that are in this land are Indians. Everybody else migrated. And so wherever you came from, obviously it wasn't that good. Wherever your grandfather came from, obviously they didn't have it all together. That's why you came to this land. And when you get here, the scripture says you should not ever mistreat a stranger or anyone else that may come into the land. Nor should you oppress him. For you were once in a different land and you had to migrate yourself. Look at verse 22, I like it. And you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. You should not afflict any widow. Obviously, those forefathers in America didn't really think about this when they took slaves. They didn't read the scripture. Or if they did, they put a blindfolder on this. Because they took families from Africa. And they sent fathers north. And they sent mother south and they took the kids as they're screaming from their parents and dispersed them around the country. And then they made it sons and their mothers. And they made it uncles with nieces. As long as they were big and had good stock, they mated them together so they can produce larger children. 
But you shall not afflict a widow or a fatherless child. Look at verse 23. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will become hot. And I will kill you with the sword. Watch this. Your wives shall be widows and your children shall be fatherless. In other words, the very thing that you inflicted on them, I'm going to cause it to happen to you. You will reap what you sow. And I want you all to get this in here because the African-American, the African-American ethnic group in America has been fatherless for 400 years. And there's been so much mistreatment over the years, even in the 21st century, even in May of 2020, even in June of 2020. When everybody's talking about nationalism and how great the nation is, we still see in the streets of our cities that there are issues that need to be dealt with. And what I'm concerned with is evangelicals who have the power that will not stand up. We preach about Barack and we preach about other nations and we preach about what's happening in Israel, but we won't preach about what's happening in our own streets. And I would like for you to wake up If you have any groups in your country or in your church that are not just your ethnic group, you have a responsibility to make sure all of them are created equal and spoke to as equals. And you need to deal with the injustices that are in our society. I should not be the Lone Ranger. And I know I'm not alone. Even when I think I'm alone, God always reminds me that I have 7,000 that are preaching the word, hallelujah, and they have not bowed their knee to any idol God. So I know I'm not alone, but I would like to see my brothers to speak truth to power, to even tell those who are in high authority when they're going too far with their rhetoric, they need to calm it down. God says, if the fatherless or the widow cries out to me, This is what he told Moses, glory to God, in Exodus chapter 3. For I've heard the cries of my people by reason of their taskmaster, and I taskmasters, and I've come down to deliver them. Well, I didn't really see it until the day. God says, I will come down to deliver the widow. I will come down to deliver the fatherless as well. Even those who may not be a part of your group, if they cry out to me, I believe there's a cry in our cities. Will somebody look at us? And if you can't cry, I'll cry out for you. And I'm crying out to God on your behalf that God would hear your cry. I'm asking him to have mercy on those who are brutal. Because you wouldn't be able to take 10% of what you dish out. If you had to walk in my shoes and deal with what I've dealt with and the the stuff that my forefathers dealt with, you wouldn't be on the earth. So I don't wish you go through what we went through, but hear my cry, oh Lord. 
For those that are operating in anger, they don't know how to cry out to you. All they know what to do is to kick down doors and to bust out windows. But we've got the word, and we're asking you to have mercy on this nation. So have mercy on the power structure as well. There are three important ideas of racism. This is how it's able to breathe through the histories. Number one, racism is replete and very visible in history. Number two, racism needs institutions to survive. And number three, racism usually works through the power structure. Let's talk a little bit about history. There's several components that you need to see as it relates to slavery and history. Number one is slavery itself. From 1619, approximately 1619 to 1865. For over 244 years, slaves did manual labor in America without getting paid. All of the cotton that was picked, all of the cane that was cropped, all of the tobacco, and you see big tobacco companies now, all of those crops that were picked were done by slave labor without any justice, without any payment. Slavery was brutal. It was worse for the African-American than it was for the Egyptians, what the, the Egyptians did to the Israelites, because at least the Israelites were able to live among themselves and to keep a society among themselves, and they had fathers and mothers and children. But with the African slave trade, it was so devious that it separated families and then worked people to the bone, even beating women with whips, not just 39 stripes, but beating them until they couldn't stand because they did not pick enough cotton in a day. I need those of you and even African-Americans that don't like your history. A person like me, you turn off. Well, where are you going now? You may not be able to run to that cop. You may get your neck flattened. What you need to do is learn how to listen. We don't even have this in our history books in America. It is totally wiped out. But every citizen of American society should know African-American history. And we shouldn't wait on February for African-American History Month to talk about it. We need to talk about it all the time. I've introduced to the leaders and the power structure of our community that we would sit up, set up historians and houses, lighthouses, where we would teach history to our kids because many of them are moving like they never had a history. They move like they never had a history, like it doesn't even matter. And if you don't know your history, you will repeat some stuff. So I believe in historians, not just teaching world history or American history and know all of the stuff that happened in America, but how are you going to miss 244 years of slave labor? If you paid these people, then others would be able to ride two in Bentleys. Let me stick to my message. After slavery, we have what we call the Reconstruction. That is from 1862 to around 1877. 
In other words, when Abraham Lincoln and the North, the Union, uh, went into war with the South or the Confederacy, after the Union won and slaves were set free, there had to be a reconstruction of the states. And in that, there was a lot of stuff lost. Amendments had to be passed and added to the Constitution. But that's in Washington, D.C. But when you look at Louisiana, what's going on in Louisiana, what's going on in South Georgia, what's happening in Mississippi, what's going on in Alabama, what's happening in South Carolina and North Carolina and Southern Virginia. The slaves were desecrated even though they're set free. And then what we see after the Reconstruction is what we call Jim Crow laws. That is to turn the nation from setting the slaves free and creating laws that would keep them segregated. Yet, mis illicit miscegenation is going on in the pews. What do you mean by that, Bishop? The very people who are creating Jim Crow laws in the South where you can't drink from the same fountain were sleeping with the women at night. The power structure was having sex with the women and therefore we see this class in our society of light-skinned black and dark-skinned black. Didn't we turn the light-skinned blacks against the dark-skinned blacks? Well, we don't go to the dark-skinned church. I don't like black people light-skinned. I don't like black people. And you don't know what was inflicted on you with Jim Crow. Then we, that is from 1877 to 1954. So you almost have a hundred years of Jim Crow laws with no, no hindrance to his laws. And in that, you got anybody violating those laws and they were actually passed and ratified in the states because the Civil War eradicated the power structure's economic base. The slaves who worked for free Everybody was used to coasting and slapping slaves with whips. And when the slaves were set free, the economic base changed. And because of that, we got to enslave them again. So we'll create laws. When they violate the laws, we'll send them to prison. Some crapped up, chopped up law that don't make any sense at all. But when you want slaves to remain slaves, even after slavery is abolished, you have to thingify the slave. In other words, he has to be less than a man. And this is why you see the, for the America, they don't understand why a whole group, thousands and thousands of kids would be yelling in the streets. The, the anger and the wrath of that, if they ever taste a little bit of what I'm saying and they don't have no temperance in it, they're going to be very angry when they see certain, certain things that's been happening over and over again. And when Colin Kaepernick kneels on the 50th yard line and the nation's leaders say, you're desecrating the flag. Well, the flag is not greater than a man. It's just a symbol of what we should be living by. But we're living beneath its creed. And Colin Kaepernick takes a knee. Everybody that's in the political realm, especially conservatives, say, when they hear the president of the United States say something like, they're desecrating the flag. It had nothing to do with desecrating the flag or the anthem. It's about giving attention to the brutality. And since we didn't listen to Carbonet, Carpenick, let me say his word right, his name right, Carlin Kaepernick. 
Since we didn't listen to him, riots are the language of the unheard. Now we're listening, right? We got to call in the National Guard, right? When all we had to do is listen to a football player who sacrificed his, his millions to make sure we give some attention to this issue. We're listening to him now, right? But we didn't have to come to this. Almost said I'm preaching better than you saying amen, but you don't have to say amen. Just listen. This is not an amen message. Ain't no amen corners. After 1954, Supreme Court ruled that segregation in schools was not constitutional. Yet, 10 years later, we still got segregational schools. So, a lady by the name of Rosa Parks decided that she wasn't going to get up and give up her seat after working all day to a white person. And because of that, she was ousted. Because she stood for it, for what she believed, it created a movement and the rise of a man by the name of Martin Luther King who began to speak the word. And I want you to think about all of the National Guard. Then I want you to go back in 1960 and see a young man. They're not after just protesters, they're after people who are peacefully protesting not knowing when he will get a straight bullet from one of them or from a police officer, he leads nonviolent resistance. I don't know if we'll ever understand how great that was. But Martin Luther King, if you're listening, I can see you. He was killed in 1968 by an assassin's bullet. In Memphis, Tennessee, I visited the spot because I just had to see it. Now we're living in modern times. I saw something today that really blew my mind about the domino effect. That one issue is totally tied to the next. And when one falls, the next falls until it creates momentum. So we have George Floyd. Most people didn't know who he was two weeks ago. And an Amy Cooper. And Ahmad Arbery, Arbery, who was gunned down in South Georgia in February. That caused us to take a look. That's in the 2020. That's in 2020. And then we have an Amy Cooper who took, uh, because she didn't like a black male that was filming her in the park when she was allowing her dog to run off leash. He was filming it. She got upset and said, I'm going to call the cops and tell them that a black African-American male is threatening me because if you use those words in America, you'll get things done. She pulled her card and everybody's talking about people pulling the race card. I don't have to pull the race card. I'm a black male. All I got to do is step in the store and I see women grabbing their purses. I could be wearing a suit. I was doing the funeral of a, a, a Caucasian uh, girl. Her sister belonged to our church. I went to the funeral home. They shut me out. I'm conducting the funeral. So I stood there. 
I'm used to this. I don't make any waves. You couldn't walk in my shoes not one second. I stood there and waited till they opened the door. What are you doing here? Well, I'm here to eulogize. The, what? Why don't you talk to sister so-and-so? She invited me. She comes out crying. This is my pastor. This is, they're looking at her. What? For those of you that are so sensitive, this is how we live and this is how we do it. And this is the life I chose. So I'm not crying about it, but I just want you to see some things. And for those of you that act like you had never been black in your life. You need to wake up and start seeing. I see more Caucasian kids that are marching right now. These are not black kids. These are Caucasian kids because they feel something in the atmosphere. Ooh, Jesus. Nothing will change in America until the power structure starts speaking to power. I remember as a pastor having a young church and renting and leasing the facility from a larger Caucasian church. And I'm saying it to you, I've forgiven them, but this is what we went through. And I can boast about my own scars. We were leasing one of his facilities, this is pastor's facility. And so he saw our church growing and he jacked up the price. And then he asked me, do you have any whites in your church? Yes. Are they poor? No, sir, they're not. I answered this way because I didn't want him to force me to have to, to, to uh, tabernacle from one area to the next. I felt if I took it and I allowed it to hit me, then I wouldn't have to tell our church uh, that we have to move over and over again. So I'll take the brunt myself and bear the scar in my own, in my own emotions so our church wouldn't have to take the hit. So do you have any whites in your church? Yes. Are they poor? No, sir. Are the African, uh, are the, are the African, Amer are the women married to African American males? No, sir. Do you believe, next question, do you believe there's something psychologically wrong with a white male to submit to a black male? We're not talking about what happened in the 50s. And I'm talking about what happened in my ministry. This is what happened to me. And I can go on and on and on. And if you've never gone through nothing like that, you look at the way I minister, you say, why is he so angry? Well, I'm not angry, but I'm really passionate. <laughs> And if you went through a few things like that, you wouldn't be so sensitive about little stuff you're going through. Because there's a whole nation of people that don't just look at the stars and the stripes. They got them in their flesh. It's not just soldiers who died in the streets. It's young males. It's young females of African descent and Hispanic descent. And all races died in the streets walking and marching. That all men would be able to say free at last. So why is history important in understanding racism? History gives us an explanation of why some races face discrimination and others don't. Why some races faces discrimination and others don't. Why some races faces disadvantages and others don't. I'm talking about the masses, like 13, 15, 18, 22 million of them. 
The second thing you need to understand is not history, it is institutions. Institutions are so critical to racism because institutions are important to understanding racism. Institutions play a vital role, a major role in perpetuating racism. Like the school system. You have schools in the inner city, schools in the inner city that are substandard to schools in the suburbs. This is history. Who decided to do that? Who decided to give certain people hand-me-down books? What about the court system? One man does the same thing that another man does, but based on his race, he gets the maximum penalty. The other man gets a slap on the wrist. Well, Bill was a good old boy. You might have watched the movie called uh, Unforgiven. You got a group of boys that just decided to cut up a prostitute, cut a face up. And so the sheriff comes in and said, what you boys do, doing this kind of stuff, go and get me my whip. One of the boys say, one of the boys now, the good old boys say, you know, I have some ponies and I can give you some of my ponies because we didn't mean to hurt the girl that bad. Well, I tell you what, when springtime, bring me a few ponies and I won't have to whip you. Now, if that was an African-American during that time that was doing, he would have been hung if he cut up a woman. If he looked at her, he would have been hung. Millions, thousands of young men died in America because they looked, not talked or cut up or even raped, just because they glanced. We're talking about some stuff that's so deep that only God can fix. And I need to bring it to you because some of you are totally ignorant. You won't go to Barnes and Nobles and go to that section. You're still reading nonfiction and fiction books instead of reading real history. And that's why you don't understand. And you got Christians just talking about the pillaging and the burning and things like that. Those things are wrong, but it is the language of the unheard. Didn't you listen to Martin Luther King? He even said it himself when he was asked by major leaders, what are you saying about the riots that are taking place? He said, I haven't seen any social change, any long-term good social change to take place due to riots. But looking beyond it, riots is the language of the unheard. If you don't listen to them when we're in peacetime, they're speaking to you loudly when buildings burn. So the court systems have been bent to punish a group of people. Since we can't enslave you, we'll do it another way. My wife was rear-ended by a young lady who had no license. Pulled off to the side of the road, cop pulls up. She was an attractive female. And she says, I'm so sorry, I just, I just moved here, started crying. He said, I'm going to give you a break. Go and get your license. This is in this city. My wife said, but she wrecked my car. Oh, we're going to, you know, uh, we'll work it out. Let her go. Y'all understand me? My own biological brother, I told him, I said, son, I see lights. Don't drive without license. Bishop, I won't get under the car. Next thing you know, when he called me, wheel, 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 wheel. Son, where you at? 
They got me. What did you do? Driving without license. Four months in the pen. Tell me what's the difference? He didn't wreck anybody. These are injustices and the court system, when a person stands before a judge, if he don't check his heart, he will automatically have a disposition to give the maximum penalty to the darkies. There are organizations, including, including churches, which close their door to Cassius Clay. He won the gold medal and tried to visit a Christian church. But they wouldn't allow him to come in because it was segregated. So he went to the mosque. Couldn't open up a business in downtown Chicago. But a European person, a European peasant can come over of the same persuasion. And have a business, have a Greek restaurant and do it all with no problems at all. There are institutions that block people. Not just physically, but financially. You'll see all kinds of black people in America riding around in used cars and new cars. But you'll see very seldom where they get the same amount of loan for a business. Why? Why? Oh! There's a cry in the streets. Those of you that don't know how to cry, you get angry and bust out windows. I'll cry for you. Oh, God. Have mercy on America. When I saw that man, his life was taken on the streets. It shook me to the core. Because he did it with such cavalier. Cavalier spirit. You're listening to a man call for his life and you don't move. If I stepped on my dog's toe and she yelps, I don't stand on it. Just, you're a dog, you're a dog. Don't worry about it, you can handle it. I want you to think about what I said. If I step on my dog's paw and she yelps, I take my foot off. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. She's a dog. But when she yelps, I don't grind down more. Yeah, you can take it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, take some more. Anybody seeing that? Everybody goes crazy. But who's crying for the shed blood in America? Well, I'll cry for you. I'll cry for you. God have mercy. Whoo, Jesus. We got institutions and history joins forces with each other to give certain groups of people more of low interest loans, more say in the country than others. In other words, when we're making decisions about your community, none of you in the community are involved. We'll decide what buildings we turn down, tear down. We'll decide what, what buildings we will build. We're going to make sure you got a pawn shop. 
We're going to make sure you got a, you got a liquor store. But no business. You have to come out of your community to go and get the business. And you create this kind of us against them. So from the child's window when they see cars go by and business owners riding by and business owners splashing mud on folk, when they grow up, they grow up with a certain disdain and we throw them in jail, but you can't just curse the darkness you got to curse that which causes the darkness. If Jesus don't come, all of us are on our way to hell. The third and final area is power and racism. You got history, you have institutions, then you have power and racism. History and institutions add to a Racial disadvantage. History and institutions. You got history that shows you you were never able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's what people say today. I've heard it. I've heard it said among African Americans. You living in America. This is the best country ever. Okay. Do you know history? I don't worry about all of that. That's what's wrong with you. Same people want to glorify, I even preach Jewish history, but I start preaching African history and everybody start getting crazy. But I can preach Jewish history. See, Moses, Moses, Moses went down to Egypt and delivered his people. I can preach Israel's history, but don't you speak about your own land. Let's even believers have a problem with it. That's why I love the Apostle Paul. He said, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Roman citizen. And you can't just throw me into a Philippian jail and beat me and think I'm going to walk out without saying something about it. I have rights. You need to read it in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Paul said, I have rights. And he wasn't just talking about kingdom rights. Power and racism. It's dangerous because history and institutions will marry themselves. But they add to the racial disadvantage. The radical disadvantage. You got history that fights against you. 244 years with no pay. At the same time that uh, Abraham Lincoln sets the slaves free through the Emancipation Proclamation. And that first year millions died because they had no shoes. And anybody that lives in Florida today, we know that it gets pretty cold sometime in Florida, at least down to the upper 30s. In Georgia, though, it gets to the 20s and the 15s. Above that, New York and places like that, it gets really cold. And I want you to think about you having to walk from here to Tallahassee with no shoes. Think anything will happen to your feet? You wonder why black people have passed down pre-existing conditions? You ever wondered? When America is taking care of millions and millions, billions and billions of dollars, this pandemic showed us if one person is not healthy, it can affect the whole nation. I'm not saying that the answer is health care for all, but we got to do something. These slaves, the first year, they became gangrenous, amputations, leprosy, 
limbs falling off. No land, no reparation, no nothing. Just you're free. But no land to cultivate. Free to starvation. Free to hunger. Free to death. At the same time, our federal government to the European peasants who were coming into New York, I'm talking about 1863-64, same time of the Emancipation Proclamation. European peasants were coming into New York and then sent to the West and the Midwest and given millions of acres of land to cultivate. They didn't even know the language. They built land-grant colleges. They sent county agents to teach them how to function in the flow. They gave them low interest rates to mechanize their farms to make sure that they can be the farmers that you see today. But we couldn't find it in our soul to help the Africans because we thinkified them. You're not even a person. And what you saw in Minneapolis was a man who says, I got something against you. Maybe you talked to a white woman and I didn't like it because it looks like they worked in the same nightclub. And he put his foot on his neck, his knee on his neck with his whole body weight until he passed out and died. Because you thingify a thing. That's, what, that's the problem racism does. <laughs> I'm calling it out because that's the man who was caught on film but there are thousands who never got caught. And this is what I'm trying to tell you. For those of you that don't understand what Clark is talking about. Why is he so loud? Why is he, I got to preach loud. I got to be like Isaiah. I got to blow the trumpet in Zion. I've got the sound of the alarm in the holy mountain. Glory to God. Unless you listen, we're all likewise going to perish. That's why he raised me up for this time and season. That I would speak truth to power. And so history and institutions work together. Over years, you'll see thousands and millions of black men incarcerated. I'm talking about they did do wrong. Okay, you convict them. Some of them are innocent, though. Somebody pointed at them, say they did it. And they got some trumped up charge. They didn't have enough money to get a lawyer, and you threw them in jail. But there are two things that work together, which creates an imbalance of our power base on race. That is institutions and history. This is why a black person can use the N-word to another black person and an Asian can talk about to another Asian a joke about his own race. You won't see them fighting. They're used to it because it doesn't affect the power base. But when a Caucasian says it because he has the power it changes the dynamic. So for those of you that are just running your mouths, you don't understand. Two black men talking to each other, even if they go to blows and fight, that's, that hadn't changed anything in America because they don't have power. Or two Asians going at each other. But when someone from the power structure says that you're beneath me and you can't drink out my fountain, why are you going and getting them in the room or going in their neighborhood and sleeping with their daughters? Why would you do that? That's called illicit miscegenation. You're saying one thing before people, but you're doing something behind the back. She can't drink from the fountain, but she can lay down. And you talk about what we say and what we do. 
This is history and it needs to be dealt with. We got to come back to God and ask for forgiveness. And all of you that are in America that feel like you could just put your knee on the necks of people. It's not going to be the same now. I go to a gun show. I see all of these males with their kids. If, if, if anybody start leading black people that way, it's going to change everything in America. I want all of you all to bear arms. Then what do we have in the street since we're all under the Constitution? For the most part, we got murder in our street, but for the most part, black people are peaceful. You've never seen a black man with his knee on a white man's neck in the history of our nation. If he did, he would have been lynched himself. When you're the dormant race and you use certain language, it makes stereotypes, stereotypical jokes about another race. Because you lack power, it kind of goes unnoticed. But when those who have the power do it, it becomes headline news. And I pray that my message hasn't offended you. What happened in Minneapolis should offend you. Not my message. I've been preaching for years. I told our church it's going to get worse. Oh, nobody want to hear that. I can't tell you that 2020 is going to be your year. I said, I see something on the horizon. I believe that we're at a turning point in America. Nothing will remain the same. We're never going to be able to go back to as it was. There will be a lot of bloodshed. And I'm praying that mercy and peace would govern our hearts and minds. And as I close this message, I want to de-escalate my voice and come down and talk to you straight. To the young people that are marching in the streets, please listen to sensible, wise, and strong leaders. It's very dangerous out there. With those of you that are robbing and stealing and breaking into uh, stores, this is not godly and it is not right. And as a father, I long to see you live to fight another day, but what you're doing is not right. You're going to see nations of the world and um, you're going to see terrorists reach out to African-American males to join their groups. I'm letting you know now, do not take the bait. That's not your fight. It is said that the man who did the Pulse night, night, night club shooting a few years ago walked in the bathroom and asked, are there any blacks in here? And a black male said, yes. And he said, I have no fight with you. You all got it rough enough and started blowing Caucasians away. And I want to say something to you that was wrong. It was dead wrong. But do not listen to the serpent's voice that says because you've gone through things in your nation, it's okay to join us and fight against the power structure. These brothers are not yours. They're not brothers. They are the enemy. God is going to ratify and God is going to shake America. But don't be a part of the problem. You are part of the solution. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and I'm telling you what's coming. Through social media outlets, you're going to see an enticement for young black males to break away from Christianity, to become militant, to break away from the way, to get involved with all kinds of groups and things and ideas and forget the scriptures. And as a servant of the Lord, I'm calling you back to decency, to the word of God. I know you're going through pain. I scream for you. But the way you're going is not right. To white America who has closed your ear and even your eye gate, you see apparent wrong in the power structure and won't say nothing about it. Because you got a little stock. Because you got a stimulus check. Because your taxes went down. You got a few judges on the courts. You must speak out. This is a democracy. The nation is. Not a theocracy. You can talk to the president. You can speak to him and calm him down. Tell him he should not incite. He actually told cops, when you're putting them into the cars, rough them up a little bit. He actually said that. I'm not blaming him for what happened in Minneapolis. What I am saying, his rhetoric adds to the culture and the, the thought, the belief of exceptionalism. They are beneath us. And when you got that in a society where such a melting pot is there, the reason why America wins so many, many gold medals in the Olympics is not because one ethnic group is competing. You may have an Hispanic competing in one group and a white male in swimming and a black male in track. Now you have blacks in, gym, in gymnastics. For years, you didn't see many blacks in gymnastics. You have all of these different groups, Samoans, Indians, Africans, Europeans, competing in the Olympics. The reason why America is great it's because of the diversity for those Christians who forgot about the black people you just say I have a few black people in my church we need to repent do you know their names do you consider them to be equal in your congregation do they do the service ministries like usher they're happy to do that if I tell them the usher here they think that I'm telling them that they're nothing but you ask them to usher in your church, they stand out in the sun and wave and thank God. But when I do it, they have a problem with it. They work in your kitchen. Make sure they clean up the facilities. They're happy to do that. Doctors are doing it. The greeters are doctors, but won't come to me and help us with our children. But if you have them in their church, in your church, can you have leaders? Can you raise some of them up to sit on your boards? Can you listen to their hearts if they're not Republican? That's why I'm not a part of any affiliation, Republican or I'm an independent, and I chose it that way. So I can speak to both sides. And I speak truth to power. And I'm telling you, 
This president needs godly counsel, not people that are bowing and shaking their head. The prophet is supposed to talk to the manservant of the Lord or the leader and say, this is wrong. David had a Nathan that said, you're naked. You're the man. Not go along with everything that he says. The president needs somebody to say, listen, sir, you're the king with no clothes. Your rhetoric is stirring up strife. Going to a burnt church with the Bible held up for a Photoshop is not showing us that you're walking in the word. You can't desecrate women with words and then hold up a Bible. You got to live by it. On the National Day of Prayer, you, you were after you were acquitted, you didn't, someone said, forgive your neighbor. You said, I don't know nothing about that. The man read, Jesus said, forgive your, I don't know nothing about that. That's the Bible you hold up, sir. Let us try to live by it. Believe me, I'm not perfect by a long shot. But you're the leader of the free world. And I give you your props. You put our... You put our judges in the right place because the nation was dipping to the left. But don't get it twisted. You didn't build the military. This is not your nation. You're not a king. Give glory to God. When you do, God will honor you. If you say, I, David did that and something happened in his nation. I built the military. No, you didn't, David. A plague broke out. Please, sir, watch what you say from that position called the White House. Because God will honor what you say, good, bad, or indifferent. For those of you that think I'm against the president, I'm not. But I'm a prophet to the president. He may even call me to the White House and say, Merton, because you spoke truth, I want you to be my prophet. I want you to speak. That's good. I'll come up every weekend on a Saturday. Fly me back Saturday night so I can preach at my church. I'll spend a couple hours with you just tell you what the scripture's saying. Sir, show you all the respect in the world. I would love to do it. I'll stand out there when you stand out there. But I'll whisper in your ear and tell you when you're wrong. And that's really what you need from men and women of God today. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this moment. I pray that there are people who are offended. Maybe you'll work through the offense to wake up America. And I pray that those that are comfortable would be uncomfortable. And I pray for the comfortless, for mothers who lost their sons to wayward cops and for cops who are taking bricks in the face. And they never did anything wrong. They've loved the society, loved the community. And they got to take the brunt, the punishment from people who are angry. Protect them and their families in the name of the Lord. Even protect the family of this man who killed that uh, George Lloyd. Floyd, thank you for protecting his family. His children are afraid. They didn't do anything wrong. I cry out for them, God. And Father, I thank you for peace in our borders. Awake America up. We can be the true light 
not just with our military power because the world is laughing at us. We're trying to straighten out Al-Qaeda and we got people in our streets that's killing folk in the broad daylight. We're trying to tell China what they should do. <laughs> and we are watch China's watching us laughing at us. Father, help us. Have mercy on America. We know that you saved us and you love us and you've never forgotten about us and we thank you for that. And as I end, Father, have mercy and grace on your people. I bless your people around the world. Father, I thank you for Trim Nation. Let us become the light that speaks truth to power in love and we will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It has been a real joy to share the Word of God with you. A special thank you to those who care for this ministry. No amount of financial support is too small. It is because of you this ministry is possible. To support us, go to our website at truthrevealed.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share with friends. Be sure to tag us when you share at Trim Nation One. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, I'll see you at the Word of Truth Revealed.